From the capital of the Finger Lakes, Geneva, New York, it's the Geneva Believer Show. Unfiltered, unflinching, independent. News, interviews, investigative reporting and analysis that you won't hear anywhere else. And now, here's your host of the Geneva Believer Show, Jim Meany. Hey, Believers, welcome to episode one of the Geneva Believer Show. Today, we're having a conversation about all things Geneva with our guest, Laura Salamendra. Check it out. Welcome to the Geneva Believers Show, episode one. This time around, we're talking with local activist and superhero, the always heavy-duty Laura Salamendra. We covered a lot of Geneva-centric territory, including an update on the Geneva Foundry, the departure of city manager Matt Horn and the search for his successor, the Geneva Police Department, Ward 6, and city councilor John Grieco. We take a call from the listener line and, uh, and even more than that. You'll also be able to hear that I'm finding my way through the whole podcast thing, uh, having a conversation while taking and checking notes and monitoring sound levels and trying not to breathe next to the microphone too loudly while your guest is talking is a little trickier than I anticipated. But episode one is officially complete and I'll keep working on ironing it all out. Technical issues aside, Laura's such a great guest. She knows her stuff and is so staunchly committed to the work she does. But from time to time, she can be snarky and even a little silly, which are two of the ingredients of the blog that I really wanted to bring into the podcast. So I hope you enjoy the uh, conversation. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions, you can send a message by visiting the contact page at GenevaBeliever.com or sending a private message on the Geneva Believer Facebook page. Or you can call the Geneva Believer Show listener line at 315-577-3770, and I might play it on the next podcast. If you have any ideas for guests or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, let me know that too. Thanks again for listening. Let's get on with it then. This is the Geneva Believer Show. So my guest today on the first uh, ever Geneva Believer podcast is a Penyan native who now lives in Geneva. You know her, you've heard of her. She's worked with Gas Free Seneca, and We Are Seneca Lake. She's a board member of We Are Seneca Lake, um, fighting the uh, Crestwood gas storage project. She participated in the Dakota Access Pipeline protests in North Dakota to support the efforts of hundreds of protesters from numerous native nations. And here in Geneva, she's a member of, she's a member of the Geneva Women's Assembly. Uh, she's been working to bring attention and justice to the Geneva Foundry disaster, pushing for police reform, among many other efforts. Someone I admire, someone who's tireless, never backs down, sees every issue through the lens of how it impacts everyone, especially those who are economically or socially marginalized. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and give a warm welcome <laughs> to Laura Salamandra. Thank welcome. you. Welcome. Welcome to... Thanks for having me on, Jim. <laughs> Thanks for doing it. <laughs> See, you got your own little, uh, your own little. Yeah, that's that's my jam. 
I love that jam. Mm-hmm. I love Rage Against the Machine. I mean, do, doesn't it make you just want to go take the streets right now? It makes me want to jump in a car and drive a car through a brick wall <laughs> of some establishment building. Okay, maybe you should <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't admit that. We'll edit that out. We'll put a little mark here, edit that out later. All right. So I'm glad you did this. But where I want to start, I forgot, I don't know if I told you this part. I hope this doesn't make you nervous. Okay. Um, what I, what my, my vision for this show is to bring people in and not only talk about issues, but like give people an insight into who these people are. Because, you know, you, you see these people at, you know, you hear letters of the editor, or you see them at city council meetings, or maybe you don't see them, or maybe there's people who are doing things. So I want to help people get to know who people are. So uh, with that said, um, are you comfortable with talking about your life? Like sure. Your life. All right. So you're, are you from Penyan originally? Yep. I grew up in Penyan. Okay. Um, and I lived in Geneva for a little bit uh, when I was around 19 and then back to Penyan, spent a year in Charleston, South Carolina, and then moved back to Geneva when my sister had twins okay. um, six and a half years ago. So you lived in Penyan Probably till you were like nineteen-ish. Nineteen-ish. So what was uh, so what was your family life like? Like mom and dad? Uh, yeah. Well, mom. Um, and I have two sisters, one older, one younger, and an older brother. And we're all about two years apart. And we okay. were uh, wild children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, there was a lot of fighting authority in my house. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I, that's kind of what I want to get at too, because like a lot of times when people are, you know, younger there, you'll see, sort of see like, there'll sort of be like signs of, of what they're, that, that later in their life, they're going to do things that are, you know, fighting authority or fighting for justice or they can't put up with certain things like do you rem- do you remember being like young like being small yes <laughs> like, i mean you could have my mother on but she um when that meme was circulate circulating that said it had a, a little girl playing with barbies and i was like what are you playing with your dolls honey and she was like no mom they're plotting how to uh, smash the patriarchy <laughs> and it was like really funny for me and my mom because when i was little like i remember in the fourth grade i uh, stopped. I started refusing to say the pledge. Really? Um, it just didn't feel right to me. It didn't seem right. I didn't like the look of it. Uh, I talked to my mom about it, and she backed me up. And so I remember we had to go to meetings with the school, with my teacher, and with the principal, and eventually higher up. Um, and uh, they tried to make an argument that I would stand, um, and I didn't have to say it. And we kept fighting them until I could stay seated. Oh, wow. So um, it was really great to have a mother who supported me when, um, as long as I could make an argument and it was fair and just, then right. she would back me up 100% and still does. Yeah. And I, um, when I was in, was, I think it was either third or fourth grade, I, I got, I had like a, a Pledge of Allegiance thing. And I said, to my, like, I was asking, I remember asking my mother, I was like, why do we have to do this? She's like, well, you know, you don't really have to. I said, well, they, it seems like you have to at school. She's like, just don't do it. Just, She's like, you don't have to. And I did, like, the first time I didn't do it, I didn't stand up, I didn't say anything. However, I didn't, I wasn't like you, I didn't push it as far as I should have, because I still ended up standing every day. But I at least pushed a conversation in the classroom, yeah. and kids were like, why aren't you saying it? I'm like, because I don't pledge my allegiance. Because it just looks to weird. Anybody or Doesn't anything, it? It every just looks day. really weird. And, uh, 
early in this year, I took um, my nieces to school. And as I was walking by, they're still saying it in Dundee. And I thought that schools had done away with it. Oh, no. They, I'm pretty sure they all, most schools still do it, don't they? I didn't know any some, of them. I think some don't. It's it's very, it gives me a bad feeling. Yeah. And then look where we are. Yeah. Fighting the power. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so were there were there things that you like, like in school or whatever, were there like groups or efforts or anything like that? Or did you kind of not get into into really like learning how how to involve yourself and how to get into activist stuff until later? Probably not until later. Um, I was involved with a group called Flyer, Star Flyer, which um, was um, working to get uh, AIDS education into schools uh, starting in kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. And so um, I would go to the camp in the summer. We'd get certified by the Red Cross to go back and then uh, teach that in the classrooms in our own schools and growing up in Penyan, um, that really wasn't alone. Yeah, so right. that's where I really started to encounter a, a power that was just like, no, and it's no, because we said, so there's nothing that you're going to be able to do about it. And so the director of that program, and I still laugh about how I, she would just get calls from me like, well, then we'll just do condom dem demos across the street from the school. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we'll just, you know, like, I'm just going to call my people in here and we'll go to the, city, you know, the board meetings and we'll make a big fuss. And so yeah. it started there. And a lot of times we won. Oh, wow. Is that, so you did. So you won totally? Or you just... Well, we would get, we started in high school. We got some uh, stuff approved in middle school. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was rewarding that early in life to see that you could take on things that seemed impossible in yeah. places that it seemed impossible mm -hmm. and to win. Yeah. Cause schools are very, they're very, uh, I don't know, they're kind of oppressive places in yeah. terms of kids' rights and <laughs> right. your voices. And yeah, that's, um, so, th so then you, so that was, that was Laura as a teen. And then <laughs> why'd you, what brought you to Geneva? Why'd you move to Geneva? Um, when I moved back to Geneva, I lived in South Carolina and I thought that I would end up there. And then my older sister had twins. Um, and so she lived in Geneva and okay. I thought, no, move to Penyan. We'll all move to Penyan. And she's like, no, I'm staying in Geneva. I yep. moved to Geneva. She bought a house in Penyan, but I love it here so much that I can never leave. Yeah. Why were you in South? What brought you to South Carolina? It was just warmer. Yeah. Yeah. Just like that. But then I quickly realized <laughs> that I can't live in a red state. Uh-huh. <laughs> Plus, like, I mean, did you have family or friends or anybody there? Like yeah, I had some girlfriends from uh, Phelps that had moved down. And I worked in restaurants, so we made a bunch of friends. Right. And my mother was there. My brother was there. Oh, okay. So you yeah, had and, some family down there. Yeah, and then when my older sister had the kids, we moved back. And so most of my family is still in Pena, and my, older, or my younger sister lives in Geneva with oh, okay. her husband and two kids. So it was, yeah, South Carolina. South that Carolina. too much. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you moved back to Geneva, the, uh, mm. the, um, uh, the beacon of left and progressive thought to spread your wings <laughs> yeah. and to live your life. Yeah. And what kind of, what, 
people know you most i mean at least i've moved here five years ago and like when i first started hearing your name a lot was was, was with the uh with the crestwood stuff mm-hmm. and that's probably how a lot of people know of you like were what kinds of things were you doing well um the crestwood stuff started i mean so if i'm thinking back in my life um the way that m- the work that i'm doing is like the way that things in my life are affecting what work i am choosing to do so um it used to be some anti-war st- anti-war stuff um the sex ed stuff uh civil rights stuff but when my sister had kids i had a huge shift to environmental it like had this huge panic and it was like there's not even going to be a planet for them i i love these babies so much so I, when I was reading that they were going to store gas in the salt caverns, I was like, this is not, this isn't, I live here and I'm, I think I kind of keep a good idea about what's going on in town. This can't be happening or people would be out in the streets. Nobody would let this happen. Um, and so it t- took like a little bit of like asking around and I finally figured out that Gas-Free Seneca was leading the charge on uh, fighting the project. They were working in towns and municipalities around the lake, uh, getting them to pass resolutions opposed to gas storage. Uh, so I started to working in Penyan, and when uh, it looked like they were going to approve the permit, mm-hmm. even though all of these people surrounding the entire lake, the 100,000 people who drink the water, were saying that they were clearly opposed to the project. Um, so we knew we had to do more, um, and that's when we started talking about civil disobedience. And I think that that was like, something that ha- has a tradition here but isn't hadn't been done in some time so when it was in the paper you know three geneva residents arrested mm-hmm. um against the gas storage project i think people really took notice like whoa and it spread yeah <clears throat> yeah it's uh, i yeah that's about what i have to add to that i'm still learning how to do the podcast folks <laughs> me too <laughs> okay did you hear that What's wrong with my sound effects? Oh, my sound effects are, are having some problems, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Geneva Believer Show. All right, let's do that again. You ready? In case you forgot, in case you forgot what you're listening to, folks. <laughs> this is the Geneva Believer Show. That's right. And we're back. We're here talking with Laura Salamandra. <laughs> um. So yeah, so that brings us to uh, closer to the to today. One of the bigger things that's happened in the past month that I haven't really gotten a chance to write about in the blog, but it's gotten a lot of um, uh, notice in the city, is the departure of our city manager, mm-hmm. our longtime, I guess you could call him, nine years. Matt Horn has found himself positioned with a uh, a. Um, uh, company down in the uh, down in the Beltway, as they call it, Washington D.C., the Pit of Snakes, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, my issue with Matt, my, I, I have my issues with Matt Horn. I think that people get frustrated by the blog, and I've heard this from people that I don't ever, I don't ever acknowledge good things that he's done or positive things that he's been here for or involved with. And my response to that is you can hear that anywhere else. You can hear that on Finger Lakes One. You can hear it at the Finger right. Lakes Times. You can hear it from the city. You can see the, you can go to the Matt Horn party at Club 86. You can go to the Smith <laughs> Opera House honoring Matt Horn. There's 
plenty of places to hear all of the good things that Matt Horn does. But when he when he's involved in things that are a little shady, or if he does things that are wrong, or that you know implies some type of misconduct, it's it's just a matter of waiting for the news cycle to kind of forget that. There's been things that he's been involved with in <clears throat> years that that uh, I think people yeah. forget. I think that it's really dangerous when we start to say that when when we're addressing people's like the way they're performing their job and we're confusing it with the, their personal life, their personal side. Matt Horn is a is a good guy. People like him. When we're criticizing the decisions that he's made as city manager, that has nothing to do with whether he's a nice guy. Right. And so it feels hard. And I give you a lot of credit with the blog because you you do a brave thing. It's not easy to be the person that's saying, wait a minute, I know that everybody likes him and that Matt Horn has made really great things happen in Geneva and that he's winning these awards. But what about this? these forgotten wards, these forgotten people? And right. you do that. And so I'm glad that you take that insp- uh, that heat, and it inspires me to want to take more of that heat. Um, but it is it can be really uncomfortable. Yeah, but I mean, I'm at this point I'm used to it, and um, but now he's gone. But one of the things that he said, <laughs> he's gone. Although <laughs> is he's he not gone? gone Wait, the, what's the date? He is gone. Oh. He's he's off. He's off the he's off the payroll. That was what was surprising <clears throat> about me that it was so sudden. Um, I don't know. I think we're going to have some unanswered questions. It happened very quickly. And, and it, of course, if you get a job, I mean, sometimes when you get a job offer, it does happen kind of quickly. Somebody's not telling us something. I agree. <laughs> I agree, announcer guys. Somebody's not telling us something. And we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, that's uh, one of my announcer guys. He helps me, uh. He helps me keep the show moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> so in the uh, in Matt, one of Matt Horn's um, in the last article in the Finger Lakes Times, he talks about leaving and, and things that he was happy about and things that he wished could have been uh, done differently. And he talked a lot a lot about the foundry as far as um, one of his uh, regrets. He said he wished it had been handled differently, and basically said he wished they could have gotten the information on the street better for people. Um, but I, that's confusing to me because I don't feel like they, people who live in the foundry contamination zone are still confused. So if that's his regret, then why did it stop being his priority? Right. You know, I think, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the heat that was coming down in the city for the foundry it, it sort of reached a boy. I mean, it was building and building. It's Maybe sort of, we should go back to the foundry, so people, yeah, like who don't like. If, oh, you mean go back and like review? Yeah, just say that talk, the city. Oh, okay. You mean right now, just mm-hmm. talk about the foundry situation? So, so give just like a little. Yeah. So the Geneva Foundry was um, located on Jackson Street in the city, and it was a, a steel foundry that operated for about a hundred years uh, until the late. 1980s and in the late 1980s when they first discovered that there had been lead and arsenic being being spewed by the uh by the foundry onto neighborhoods and yards uh that surround the foundry for a few blocks in each direction and for over 20 years probably close to 30 years um city officials knew about it and didn't tell anyone shame and when 
When it was first made public by the DEC, the city said we did everything that we were supposed to do. Um, and then uh, some FOIL uh, documents came out showing that that was actually that they actually knew a lot more than they were letting on. That these early reports, reports from the late 90s, um, specifically said that there were uh, hazardous levels of lead and arsenic in the soil. And these were reports that were supposed to have been seen by, you know, all city officials. And and then. Then a little more pressure started coming on the city. Then, then people were saying, well, wait a minute. You said you knew nothing, but it looks like you probably should have known something. Um, and then some of the focus went towards uh, city councilor Gordy Eddington, because uh, Gordon Eddington was the DPW director for um, 12 years, I think, during much of the time. So he knew about it. People started pointing the mm -hmm. finger at him because now he's on city council and it's easy to... It's easy to uh, point your finger at him. Um, Gordon Eddington then claimed that he had a, that he couldn't talk about, they couldn't tell people because of a, uh, a confidentiality agreement that was in the uh, contract they had with the DEC. And then the DEC came out with a statement saying, no, that's completely not true. That's not what it even means. That wasn't the spirit of it. And I think at that point is when the, that's kind of where a lot of the, the conversation died down because the city started doing city started doing the remediation they started giving people more information mm -hmm. um handing out vouchers for for fresh vegetables so um but at some point the the gwa the geneva women's assembly got involved in the foundry uh, uh situation and why what was it that why did the uh gwa get involved um, GWA got involved because some people who lived in the foundry were confused by the way that the city was handling it. So um, they didn't know if their soil, how bad it was, when their soil would be cleaned up. They had been referred to, to, a, lawyer, to a lawyer, but the lawyer, they didn't feel like the lawyer had their best interest mm -hmm. um, in mind. Um, they were just confused. So it. I went back. I had been so caught up in what was happening in Reading with gas storage that I didn't even really know what was going on right here in the in the city. So I went back. I read the blogs on Geneva Believer. I and met with um, a couple of women who had grown up in the foundry and then raised their kids in the foundry. And I remember bringing a notebook and. To, they, I said, okay, so let's start. Where did you live? And it was just like pages and pages of things that I'd never even heard of, like all kinds of arthritis and like reproductive problems. And one woman's sister had died of uh, a brain, something happened to her brain when she mm -hmm. was very young. Uh, and so we started, I started to look these things. Then they were talking about their kids and how their kids had the things. And then the, the other woman who talked about her parents and then her kids and her, and I was going through these pages looking and it was, it was like, these things are the same. They all have the same things. They all grew up houses next door to each other. They Their parents all grew gardens. They're all so sick. Mm -hmm. It was like, and these people knew about this and they didn't tell them and they're still not telling them. Right. So at that point, Geneva Women's Assembly was just like coming off the March 8th International Women's Day. I don't really even know that we knew what we would be doing, but when we heard these stories, we knew we had to do something. Yeah. So... 
We just wanted to find out more. We wanted to make sure that people knew. We wanted to do the thing that the city never bothered to do, which was to make sure that people knew that their yards were filled with poison, like dangerous levels of lead and arsenic. Um, So we started knocking on doors, and we spent a lot of time doing that. And it, it was, I remember, like a month into knocking on doors, we were still knocking on doors of people who spoke Spanish who had no idea. And you could see when we had someone there who could speak Spanish, um, to tell them or hand them a pamphlet in Spanish. So we started going to city council saying, well, like, what are you going to do for these people? And and the people who lived there were showing up to city council asking the same questions, mm-hmm. and they refused to be pushed aside. And it was so beautiful to watch them feel like they had to wait on a lawyer to help them, uh, to see it trans- transition to when they were showing up and demanding that the city do something to make it right was mm-hmm. really something. Yeah. And they worked so hard and they stood together and um they did they they got some wins. So they got $50,000. Um they got fruit and vegetable vouchers, free admission to the dog park, um and c- community gardens. Um in the new budget there's $100,000. Right. Right? Yeah. So I think that the foundry should be a lesson to this to sit to the city, which we know they didn't learn by Mar- by the creek. Yeah. We know that they didn't learn yep. that, which is <laughs> which is a uh, it, it, surprising it, that it would in, happen in such a short span. Yeah, it was of time. like how so, so soon after the foundry, I had like just finished a sentence about how Geneva had made such a mistake by not warning residents that they were in danger before there was a spill in Mark Creek that yeah. put residents in danger and the city did nothing about it. So right. I think that we need to keep the pressure on. And that's one of the reasons that um, when residents were demanding an investigation and a way to alert residents when there's something like this, when a ha- something hazardous is threatening their, their safety, um, I think that... Th- that we have to still keep pushing for that. We need the investigation. We need to know where, when the failures are, mm-hmm. how they're happening, and so we can prevent them from happening again. And we need a way that is foolproof in letting citizens know that they aren't safe. Yeah, and that was one of those things that you know there was a there was a lot of a lot of push for an investigation, <clears throat> and it ended up being one of those things with the news cycle where like. You know, they were like, oh, there were, I think there were a couple of counselors who said, yeah, we think it's a good idea. And then it just kind of other things happen and it kind of moves to the to the wayside. But but I don't understand that. I mean, if you're a city counselor, why would you not want an investigation to prevent a tragedy that hurt people? Right. It's like these people, it's like they're on council, but who are they representing? They, I don't know anybody, any reasonable person that would say we... We don't want a, anything like the foundry to happen again. Right, right. All right, so that's it. Everybody who's listening, city council meetings, go request an investigation. Yes, I agree. And, and it can't, it's, it's something that has to just keep coming up or they're not going to do anything. And it's, it's, it's extra frustrating because when I remember, when I think back to when all those people were coming to council and talking about it, especially the foundry residents specifically, so many people kept saying, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't we know? 
that answer that question still hasn't been answered mm-hmm. and it's not a matter of going back through all the all the, the the policies and going back through all the all the documents and find out who knew what when and and whether there was some kind of cover up or whatever it makes it look like they're trying to cover something up when they don't want to investigate at all they're just they're just saying well the, it was the DEC's problem and that that doesn't fly that the the documentation doesn't back it up this idea that we the DEC was supposed to do it and they didn't and we did everything right and that's all it's going to be that the, the documentation doesn't back up that that right. statement and it's, and even if they were relying on the DEC to get the funding to clean it up they could have told people not to grow tomatoes and feed them to their kids yeah it, yeah. They failed morally. Right. And there's no contract, like, strong enough that you should let people live in poison. It just, it, Matt Horn was right to address it in the in the paper and say that it was a blemish on his career. It certainly is. Yeah, and, and it should, the fact that the investigation wasn't done and his handling, I mean, it, when he said he wished the information got out sooner, I just felt like his his. It, it always comes back to Matt Horn, and Matt Horn is – he's not city council. So he, city council okay. saying, go ahead and handle this, Matt. But for those first few months, until Boundary residents showed up at council meetings, they were just – they just kept – he and the rest of council just kept saying, well, you know, it's, eh, that's the yeah, – it's a, a, a tough break. Like that was basically the whole message was, oh, you know, sorry. They didn't say they were sorry that it happened. They were just like, well, it happened. Well, I hope that that's – something that changes with our new city manager is that we have a council that's thinking independently because whether when pe- when counselors were suggesting an investigation it was like you couldn't even one of the here people are still living in poison mm-hmm. i mean these yards aren't going to be cleaned up for years and we're still requesting an investigation and every counselor is like oh no the foundry that's handled matt's handled it and it's mm-hmm. like how is it handled? They're still sick. They're still living in poison. But yep. he has that ability to make them think that it's handled and everything that's being done is being done. But we know that's not true. There's always more. Right. And right. they deserved a lot more than a $10 voucher. So just to touch on it somewhat quickly, but we don't, I mean, we have time. We can touch on it longer if you want. But I recently, if people follow the Geneva Believer, Facebook page, they see that I um, shared a uh, police complaint survey that the Geneva Women's Assembly yeah. is um, is uh, circulating. Can you tell people about that? Yeah. So um, the reason for the survey is because um, when we were going to city council and requesting funds to for a real police accountability board with teeth, um, and when we had concerns over city council um, relieving Trickler of his residency requirement when he had already taken the $2,500 to relocate, um, we were getting the message from city council and from city staff and from the police department that things are okay, that there's nothing to worry about. And from my experiences in Geneva, from talking to people, that wasn't the case. So um, we've come up with this survey. Uh, we've been out canvassing, knocking on doors, and it's posted online, and you've shared it. And I hope that people will fill it out because if if things aren't okay, if what the city's saying isn't true, then we need the data to back it up. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, I just to play devil's advocate, you know, what the, the city's going to say or the police department's going to say, they're going to say, well, these aren't real complaints. You know, there's not really. Well, it's impossible to file a real complaint. And what, I'm sorry, is the fucking point? You file the complaint. First, you have to go to the police department to get a complaint form. Mm -hmm. oh, so that's comfortable <laughs> after yeah. you've just been harassed by the police. Um, you go in, you get the police. They're so rude to you. You. Uh, return it and it's reviewed by police officers right and they're the like a brotherhood they're not going to turn on each other right and then it's handled internally they can they don't even tell you what happens mm -hmm. one time i had a, a judge who was vi like it should have been illegal like the way that he was telling me that i couldn't bring someone into a courtroom because i was a woman or bring my husband and my father and he i made a uh, judicial complaint someone helped me make a judicial complaint and it was a ton of work yeah. and so after months and months and months they call me and i tell them what happened and then they said okay well we are gonna handle this internally and um so you might hear what happens but you probably won't and it was like, yeah. what? He didn't yeah. he didn't embarrass me in private. I mean, and this he, that was like terrible. And I had gone to all the trouble. Mm -hmm. yep. So that it didn't happen to someone else. And so this is the system that our police department uses. So someone's targeted, they have to go into a place where they don't feel comfortable, fill it up, and then it's handled by police and they never know. Seems like people might stop filling out complaint forms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just to be clear, the Geneva uh, Women's Assembly, the complaint form, that's that's not going to the police. Right. And you can be anonymous, Anna, or you can share your story. Um, if you're not comfortable uh, filling it out and you would like to talk to someone face to face, we're happy to set that up. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the most important things that you can do in a community is just listen to the people. Listen to the people. Yeah. And yeah. it's, you know, it's not like city council has this huge obstacle in the way of that. It's like they act as if there's like this huge, it's like the only thing you have to do to hear from the people is talk to them. Right. And they don't do it. They have to admit. So, I mean, Gen Geneva Women's Assembly will be out there knocking on doors and getting stories and then we'll take it to city council and we hope that they'll hear us. And I hope that they do too, because you can, I mean, if you, people can dismiss if, if, if they just, if, if you just tell them, oh, there's, it's impossible to file a police complaint. It's hard. It can be dismissed when people don't have the data and GWA is gathering data mm -hmm. and they're gathering, you know, testimony of people who live it and who know that it's real and who know that it's happening. Right. And that's the thing that is like so heartbreaking to me. It's like when we say we're gathering data, each one of those things is something that was humiliating yeah. to someone. It's like it's something that has shaped their life. They yeah. have been like uh, embarrassed. They they haven't been treated with respect. I mean, even at the smallest at the smallest complaint, that's the kind of thing that's going on. And then it can be as big as they've been targeted. They feel like they're, you right. know, they've yep. been set up and their life is ruined. And now they're spending 15 years in prison for a nonviolent offense. It's like, so the scope of this, like, the effect that the police has on these communities that they target, it's crazy. Yeah. So that data is like, it's heavy. Yeah.
And it's not just data. It's people. It's people. It's, people it's always people. And families and children and people. Yeah, and kids who. Lives who... and their own. There, it's, there's a perception. The police, there's, there are people who have this perception that the police aren't, um, aren't really doing anything wrong and that all of the, the complaints are from people who are just, you know, the police, the police arrested <clears throat> their brother one time. So now they hate the police. And how can people say that? I want someone to come and say that the police aren't doing anything wrong. And then I want to sit them down with a screen and show them video after video of the police gunning down unarmed black men in the streets and then being acquitted, not even being charged. So I don't understand how people can say, and then, okay, so if they even acknowledge that that's wrong, um, but then they'll say that's just one, one guy. Right. But then if you look at 40% of police officers um, hit their partners, they're abusive mm-hmm. to their partners. So that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So how can people not see that this is a, a problem, a systemic problem? I don't know. I don't know. I think in a small city like this, people just – I'm not talking about everyone. I'm talking about people who should be open to, to looking at, at what's going on. They know, you know, they went to school with a police officer. Or they yeah. know somebody who knows the cop. Or they, you know, they ran it like everybody. Or they've been a victim of a crime and somebody. Yeah. Heard, and so, and but that's the thing. It's like the same way is if you're critical of America, where it's like, well, then get out. And if you're critical of the police, it's like, well, then I hope your house gets robbed and your whole yeah. family gets murdered. And no, and you call them and they don't come. It's like, wait, you hope that my whole family gets murdered? Yeah. And they don't come? I mean, like, that is their job. Their job isn't to kill and profile. Right. So it's like, I'm, I don't know. I don't understand. It's like, don't you want the institutions that you, like, want to feel good about? You want to feel good about the country you live in. And you want to feel good that the, like, that the police are caring for your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I don't understand why people are so opposed to you know, working towards better institutions. Hmm. Yep. Well, it's, this is a good time for Geneva when it comes to, to, to scrutiny of the police department. I think that it's, it's been a long time coming and it's, things aren't going to change overnight. It's going to take a long time and there's going to be fights and people are going to criticize people and people are going to, to, uh, to, it's going to be messy, but it's, uh, but over time, I'm a believer in Geneva, and I think that 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 in this city with the the people that we have here, we could actually make change, and we could actually be a, sort of a an example to larger cities and to other cities and other other communities around the country of like how to reform police, how to reform local government, how to how to change things, how to address poverty, all of those things. I, yeah. I think that there's a poss- there's a great possibility in this city because. Demographically, we're just a big city shrunk down to 12,000 people. So, I mean, I really do believe that too. I believe that we can do it all here. All right. So we agree on that. And that brings us to um, a segment that I call Let's Go to the Phones. <laughs> uh, I, there's a, a, a telephone number that you can call. Of course, I'm not prepared. I don't have my, tele- my own Geneva Believer telephone number in front of me. But uh, I've had the telephone number out there. If you if you're a 
Geneva Believer podcast listener or a Geneva Believer blog reader, you can call this number and you can leave you can leave a message and tell me what you're thinking and, and tell the world what you're thinking on the podcast. It's 315-577-3770. 315-577-3770. Uh, so far, I've gotten one call, which is pretty cool, I think. It's very cool. And I'm going to use, I'm going to play that call on the first podcast ever in our segment that we call Let's Go to the Phones. <laughs> Let's go to the phones. That's right, and here's the uh, here's the phone call we got. Yes, Mr. Gemini, I was uh, pleasantly pleased to see that uh, you weren't one that have been fooled over the uh, last uh, ten years, <laughs> decade of Mr. Horn's uh, leadership uh, in the city of Geneva. Even though he's done a lot of positive things for the uh, business district and the businessmen downtown. Uh, Mr. Horn has not been quite, uh, shall we say, uh, helpful to the homeowners through uh, high sewer tax, high water bills, the one-and-done pickups, and everything else that goes on, along uh, with, unfortunately, his personal behavior has definitely should be weighed in his overall performance. And I'm glad to see that in your statement to the Finger Lakes Times, that you were critical. Uh, have a good day. Wow. Whoa. Thank you, caller. I appreciate the uh, the kudos. Um, and uh, is, uh, the only way I can respond is to say, as I was saying earlier, I didn't want to. When the Finger Lakes Times contacted me, asked me asked me for a quote, I would. I didn't. I knew that everybody else was going to praise Matt Horn, and I knew, and I wanted to be. At least the one voice who didn't just heap praise upon him, um, because he doesn't des deserve uh, just praise. I think that he's made mistakes. And as far as like, as far as the other things with the the homeowners, I I I, I can't really address those. I don't know those, about those as much as the callers seem to. But um, um, but yeah, I appreciate the. Uh, I appreciate the kudos, Anna. And I I agree. I mean, I want a Geneva that works for people who um, don't own homes and who yeah. don't own businesses. I mean, if I were to say the people that I'm most concerned with, it's poor people. I mean, yeah. they have it the hardest. It's like, that's the kind of stuff. And to be clear on Matt Horn, I mean, I think that he is a nice guy. We've always said, and, and if I'm fighting City Hall, I don't want Matt Horn in it. So I'm glad that he's yeah. <laughs> resigned. It's like he is very good at um, caring about businesses. And, I mean, he has done really great things. But mm -hmm. I hope that the next city manager is going to care about public transportation and the people who live in the fifth and sixth wards. So do I. And I hope that the next city manager understands that that you can you can get all kinds of grants and you can have a, lots of great things going on downtown, but at the edge of downtown you have room for that resiliency center that could have been right. And the sign, I mean, it's clear that they don't care. And I'm not saying yeah. that the, there aren't working people or people who are out of work who are struggling all over the city. There are, but right. when your city wants to put a welcome sign after people have already passed by where you live, I mean, yeah. there's a serious problem here. Mm -hmm. And when you have the sixth ward counselor telling me on social media, asking me sarcastically, because I was complaining about the things that he was doing, 
I don't know if you pay taxes in the city or not. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's a way that people who don't own houses are, are, are told that their opinions don't and matter. And it's such shit. And they were doing it at the foundry. And it, when we were, when we were working on the foundry stuff, it was like, people started saying, well, um, if you own a property, it was like, wait, I mean, yeah. you're not a, a better or more deserving of like safety. Yeah. If you own a house, it's like people who rent are people too. People who rent pay city rent taxes. And their landlords. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, this is like, we have to stop de- like deciding what people deserve based on their class. Yes. All right, Laura. Anyway, you're just going to get me raging on about all the things. I know. We've been, uh, it went by pretty quick, huh? Yeah. So, um, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. And um, we got the first one out, and now then, well, we'll get it down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get it all down uh, eventually at some point. But um, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. Um, if you've right. listened this far, I'm I'm blown away. If if you've actually sat there and listened to this to this point i'm i'm grateful and thankful but i'm, I'm this, i feel the same way about the blog anytime anybody pays attention <laughs> to what i'm talking about i'm and if you're and if you're paying attention save the date march 8th geneva women's assembly we're uh celebrating international women's day we're going to stand with women all over the world um to talk about all the work that women do all right we'll see you there that's how we'll end it thanks everybody Believe. Thanks for listening to the Geneva Believer Show. Go to GenevaBeliever.com and enter your email address on the homepage to receive updates for new stories and podcasts. If you have comments or suggestions, use the comment page on the website or leave a message on the Geneva Believer hotline at 315-577-3770. If you'd like to support Geneva Believer, visit GenevaBeliever.com and click the support button. And as always, anything you can give to help the blog and the podcast is deeply appreciated. Until next time, believe. Stay.